0: to read from Ephesians chapter 3 14 through to 21. I meant to ask Sam to announce this but I was going to encourage you if you use Facebook, the church has a Facebook page, good opportunity for you to share a, a verse or an encouragement in that space. I think it has opportunity there to encourage each other for those who use that forum. Ephesians, chapter 3, starting at verse 14. For this reason I kneel before the Father, from his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you according to his power that is at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. May God give us understanding.
1: Firstly, I realised before when I spoke, I wasn't at the microphone just so we're all aware, to be to function as a place of worship, we're required by law to have a COVID safety plan. And that's led to us having all these signs and things around the church. And one of the boxes to tick as part of a COVID safety plan is to inform those involved in the place of worship of the risks and how to prevent the spread of COVID. And so we thank Sandy for sharing with us this morning. And to let you know too, next week we've got Ashley Saunders from the Barnabas Fund will be sharing with us, Barnabas Fund. It's an organisation that ministers and supports those in the persecuted church. And so we look forward to being challenged and encouraged as we hear from him next week. Let's pray. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we thank you that in the midst of all that is going on around us, we can open up the Bible and hear your voice. We thank you that these words come from you, that we're hearing exactly what you want us to hear. And so, Father, we ask that you'll pour out your spirit upon us this morning, that your words would not fall to the ground, go in one ear and out the other, Lord, but that by your spirit, your word would take root in our hearts and bring forth a great crop. And so, Father, please help us now that we might know you more through Jesus, we pray. Amen. If you have your Bibles open, you'll see that we're coming to the very middle of the book of Ephesians. Paul would often say to Timothy, to watch your life and doctrine. Watch how you live and what you understand about God. Essentially, in the first three chapters, which we're coming to the end to, we have been exhorted and challenged and taught how to think rightly. They're the chapters of doctrine. And then once we move on next week into the next three chapters, it'll be about life, how these doctrines should play out in our life, how we should live for him. And so in many ways, they be the next chapters are the application of the truths we have heard. And in our verses this morning, verses 14 down to 20, 21, Paul prays a very earnest prayer. A beautiful prayer. But it's not just a prayer for us to admire, it's a prayer for us to pray. It's an example for us on how to pray for each other. And so it's important that we look at this, this prayer today. Because it's going to help us in a very particular context. Because Paul says in verse 14, for this reason, for this reason I bow my knee before the Father. What is that reason? Look back to verse 13. Paul says to the Ephesian Christians, I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is for your glory. And how is Paul suffering? Look back to verse 1 of chapter 3. I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles. The, uh, the new church, the baby church in Ephesus, is hearing and seeing Paul in chains. Paul is under Roman guard. His freedoms have been taken away. He's a prisoner on account of preaching Christ. And he writes to the Ephesians because they might be tempted to lose heart in Christ. They see the situation Paul's in and he knows their faith will be tested. That's the context of this prayer. Paul is praying this prayer for Christians who he knows their faith will be tested. And having faith tested is not something unique to the Ephesian church. It is something we are all told to expect. And that's why this prayer is very relevant for us. Just as the young Ephesian church was tested, you will be tested too. And God tells us to be ready. There's ample verses in the Bible that tell us we should expect to be tested. But keeping your hand in Ephesians, let's just look at a few passages. Turn to the right of your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4. Verses 12 and 13. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12. Beloved, that's the church, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when glory is revealed. Don't be surprised when the day of testing comes to you. Turn to 1 Peter chapter 5, just over the page. Verses 8 and 9 says, Be sober-minded, be watchful, for the, your adversary the devil prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him. Firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of sufferings are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. Next week, we're going to hear about very particular types of suffering that God's people are experiencing, being persecuted for trusting in Jesus. Turn to James, just after Hebrews. So, just a little to the left. James chapter 1, verse 2. James chapter 1, verse 2. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. We don't like trials. We don't like being tested, but God uses it for good. God uses these trials and testing to perfect us in our faith, to grow and mature us. If you remember, you can turn back to Ephesians 3. Do you remember when Jesus was the parable of the soils, where the seed fell? Some on the path, some on the rocks, some in the where the weeds are, some on the soil. And Of those who fell on the rocks, Jesus said they are those who hear the word, they receive it with joy. They're at church, they're praising God. But they have no real roots. They believe for a while, but in the time of testing, when testing comes, they fall away. But we are called to rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, endurance produces character, and character produces hope. Our faith will be tested. I would say, you would read the Bible to say, our faith must be tested. For it is through times of testing that our faith is proven genuine. It's through times of testing that we are made more like Jesus. It's through times of testing where we know our worldliness and all the stuff that we hold on to is sort of jettisoned and cut off it's through times of testing where we actually see where our hope is and where our hope actually needs to be and so the faith of the ephesians was going to be tested but whether it's the ephesians being tested or you or i our testing is never in vain it is never wasted it is always for our good and for god's glory and throughout the Bible, we see the saints tested in many ways. We have an example of the church in Ephesus when they see persecution for preaching the gospel. But we see God's people have their faith in the Bible tested through being mocked, having their property confiscated, losing their house, losing their jobs, being put in prison, being whipped, stoned, tortured, even put to death. But we also see God's people being tested in other ways through famines. That mean when they go to the kitchen, they open the cupboard or the fridge, it's empty. Through hunger in the wilderness. Or like the disciples being caught in a storm at sea. But further still, we see God's people having their faith tested. Job's a good example of this, but through others, through the loss of loved ones. Job lost all his children. Through barrenness, Sarah, Hannah and the rest. Through sickness, like Elisha and Job. Job even had loved ones coming to him and say, turn, your way. turn away from God, it's not worth it. Through poverty, having all your finance, financial loss. Through loss of friendships, through loneliness. On and on, if we study the Bible, you'll see God's people have their faith tested in many and various ways. And here in Ephesians 3, we see a particular way. But the prayer we're going to look at will apply to all of these ways because the same, we need the same prayer. So the question isn't, will you be tested? It's when will you be tested? And many of us, I'm sure, have had our faith tested already. Might not relate to all those things, but maybe unfulfilled desires, financial struggles, unkindness, Experiences you ask God, why did I have to endure? On you could go, and it makes you wrestle with God and question. So, listen very carefully to the prayer that God has given us. And maybe this prayer isn't just for you to pray for yourself, maybe you know someone who's struggling and you know their faith's being put to the test. Follow Paul's example and pray this for them as he prays this prayer for the Ephesians. And it's no ordinary prayer, it's not trite, it's not full of cliches, it's a prayer for power, a prayer for real power that will equip the children of God to stand fast in their faith, no matter what they have to endure. So let's first look at how Paul begins to pray in this context. Verse 14, 15, for this reason I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. He's about to pray for people who are going to have their faith tested and that's how he begins. Firstly, he remembers who our father is. You and I need to remember who our father is. He's a father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. Every means every. And the word here for family comes from the word for father. It refers to all who have come forth on account of the father. And so it is telling us that God is the one from whom all creatures in heaven and on earth have their existence. He is the one who has brought them forth. He is the giver of life. There is no life anywhere in heaven or on earth that does not owe its life to God. And that even includes all those who are against you as a Christian. That even includes the devil, the rulers, the authorities. They have their life because God gave it to them. And God is also here, we are told, the one who has given all living creatures their name. He's the one who who names everything. If you remember Adam in the beginning, Adam was created in the image of God, and God gave him dominion over all the creatures. And one of the ways his dominion was exercised and he was God-like, was that he named all the creatures. And here we see God is the one who has named all beings in heaven and on earth. He is the one who has dominion over all. And so faith with testing, Paul remembers who his father is. He is God. He is eternal. He is the source of life. He is the one who has all authority. He is the one who is head over all even over those who cause us pain. There is no being anywhere, no being, devil included, who is not subjected to him, is not subject to him. In times of testing, you are weak, but you remember he is strong. And remember your relationship with him, because Paul calls God father. He is your father, you are his child. How did Jesus teach us to pray? Our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. As we pray, we come to our father and we've got to remember we are his child. Because he set his heart upon you, as we have seen about the glorious gospel from before the foundation of the earth, he said, I will adopt you as my son. The good earthly father loves his child. Yet your father in heaven loves you so much more. A child who knows their father loves them and is for them will instinctively reach up to dad. May we know our father in heaven, his love, that he is for us, that in times of trouble we will instinctively reach up to him. I remember when I was a little kid being taken for a swim in the ocean and there are lots of people around all the ways would go and i got very scared but i looked for dad and as soon as i saw my dad i didn't reach out to the strangers around me and anyone else i just reached out to him and he picked me up and he held me may we do that with our heavenly father and how does he draw near to him in reverend intimacy reverend intimacy we learned something very important here about how we should approach God in prayer. Some can focus so much on God's greatness and majesty that when they come before God in prayer, they speak as if God's somehow distant. He's unknowable. But others too can so focus on being a child of God and have that familiarity with God, they forget that God is God. He is the King. And they forget any sense of reverence. But here we see Paul gets it right. He shows us the godly example. He calls God his father while also bowing his knee. He calls God father and he gives his father the respect and honor due to him. That bowing of the knee is the bowing that you're familiar with from Philippians 2. Before the Lord, every knee shall bow. That's a position of complete Surrender of utter dependence, of utter helplessness before the one you bow. Acknowledging God's greatness and worthiness. And so as we come before God in times of suffering and testing and prayer, may we too come quickly and humbly. How quickly we can hold off running to God. And it's as if God's the last option. How many other things have you tried before you've come to God? No, may we come quickly and humbly in prayer on a bowed knee before God who is our Father, who has all power and authority, being confident of His love for us and assured that He is for us in every way. And so let's learn now for what Paul asks, that we may ask for that too. Verses 16, 17. Paul prays that according to the riches of His glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. So first he prays that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power. Literally strengthened in your inner man. In times of testing, we can so readily focus on the outward. And all the stuff that's gone wrong around us and all the stuff that other people have done and all the struggles we're having to endure all the while crumbling away on the inside. If we are to endure times of testing, we need to be strengthened on the inside, have our inner man made strong. That's what Christian maturity is. Your outer being is going to pass away grows old and weary. But, and here's the challenge, though our outer being is on a downward trend, our inner being should be on an upward trend. As the decades go by, yes, your body fails. But as your inner man getting stronger, because you know Jesus, because the power of the God is at work in you, as your body returns to the dust, You should actually be becoming more and more like Jesus. In your times of testing, are you just focused on the sickness or your work or the relationship or the health or the wealth or the problem? Or are you calling upon God to help you get things right inside, going to the root of the problem, that you may grow in godliness and maturity and faith? But here we're reminded that you and I can't become strong in our inner man without God's help. But God in these verses here shows that he promises us, promises to give us the strength we need so as to become strong. He will give us of his very own power. We've been challenged by the grandeur of God's power in the early chapters of this book. God is all powerful, all omnipotent, all omnipotent, omnipotent. (laughs) If you consider God and just consider where he is, he's way up the top and not just on top. Everything is nothing in comparison. And he says, my power is for you and my power is here to work in you. That is should give us courage. But it's not wishful, it's real. Because God will give of his spirit so that his power can do a supernatural work in our hearts, in our minds. And Paul prays this with confidence, not wondering, not hoping, but knowing that God will do this because we've seen in the opening chapters just how much God is for them. God has chosen them. He's for them in every way. He's told them all about the riches that are theirs in Christ because of God's grace and God's mercy. And if all these riches bring glory to God, and all these riches do bring glory to God, and they're overflow of His glory, And so as Christians, when Paul prays and when we pray, given that God is so much for us in every way, we can pray according to that in confidence that he will empower us to live the life he has called us to live. God never calls us to do something in our own strength, but will equip us more than we need so as to accomplish it. He will equip you so as to keep living as a Christian. He'll equip you so as to finish the race, so as to be able to face whatever trial or trouble you have to face. To face testing, Paul asked God for power through the Spirit in the inner being. And the first step that he looks for this power to be displayed is so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That's the second step of his asking. Firstly, that God would give us power through his spirit. Secondly, unto Christ dwelling in our hearts through faith. Christ dwells in the heart of his people by his spirit, the Holy Spirit. Paul here, as he says, that isn't praying that the spirit of Christ would come and be in the Christian's heart. That's already happened. We've seen that in chapter 1, that God has given every Christian the Spirit, the Spirit of Christ, as a seal, as a guarantee. Rather, Paul, he is praying that Christ will forever reside in our hearts. The word for dwell is not to take up residence, but to reside permanently. To never leave. Christ dwells in our hearts by God-given faith. Ephesians 2.8 tells us that even faith is a gift from God. So if Christ is to dwell in our hearts through faith, faith is a gift from God. Christ is to dwell in our hearts forever. God must give us the grace, the faith that endures, that perseveres, and he will. For Christ to indwell our hearts permanently, we cry out to God knowing that he will empower us to have faith that endures according to his grace. We don't just rely on God's grace to come to Jesus. God doesn't just give us the faith to start us believing and then steps back. We keep relying on God's grace to maintain our faith and not maintain it, to grow it and to make it stronger and ever more sure of who Jesus is. in times of trouble don't look into yourself our world's good at that I was at a workshop recently where they got us in the midst of our troubles a helpful thing is to stop and meditate and to clear your head and that just places you in a place of denial for a little while you come out of it nothing's changed you might be able to cope a little bit but then you're going to be back where you are the last place when you're struggling and crumbling on the inside is to go digging on the inside We look to Christ, that he would strengthen our hearts. In Acts 4, we see that after the day of Pentecost, Christians in Jerusalem were having their faith tested. Persecution was coming. They were timid and they come together in prayer and they pray to God and they remembered who Jesus was and God powerfully strengthened them in their faith by the power of the Spirit. And they left that room and went out proclaiming Christ. God will do the same for you. This prayer is for us. So if you want to know who a strong Christian is, someone who you think is going to pass through the test, don't be fooled by outward appearances. Jesus says on the day of judgment, there will be those who have done powerful things, prophesied, performed miracles, cast out demons, But Jesus is going to tell them away from me. I don't know you. In churches, we can be tempted like Samuel to assess the sons by their outward appearances, as Samuel did to Jesse's son. He thought each brother was strong because of outward things. We might think someone's on a music team, someone preaches, someone leads a Bible study, someone's a deacon, someone's an elder. They must be strong. No. As many a pastor has discovered after years, he's not even saved. We can trick each other. We can keep up appearances. But you can't trick God. For us to be strong, it's the inner man. It's a heart that is clinging and yearning for Christ. A heart that loves Jesus more than anything else. So in times of trouble, don't look to worldly principles and worldly methods or another book from a Christian bookstore. Rather, ask God for power to look to Jesus and he will strengthen you. Power to cling to him, power to be captivated by him, power to love him and to be full of him. And you'll be strong in the day of testing. Such faith will make a little girl far stronger than a muscly man. Through open doors to deals with the persecuted church there's a testimony of a little girl who won't deny Jesus but there's plenty of examples of grown men who'll deny Christ if our hearts and the power of the spirit are full of Jesus we'll be able to face the darkness face our troubles face the rising waters the floods face the flames Strong men crumble in times of testing. Wise men crumble in times of testing. But those who hold fast to Christ, whether you're weak or strong, educated or uneducated, a slave-free male or female, you will not crumble. So Paul prays confidently. And that's the challenge for us. Maybe you're being tested now. Will you pray confidently? Even saying, God, I'm not feeling confident, but I know I should be confident, so I'm going to pray this prayer. Because God's children can pray this prayer confidently because we are those who are rooted and grounded in love. Those who are rooted in God's love can never be plucked out. God's love will never let you go, will never let you be blown over. Those grounded in God's love can never be shaken, for you are grounded on the rock that can never be shaken. And Paul spent the first three chapters telling us just how sure and great and marvelous is the love of God, that we would be confident. So when we face trials or see our brothers and sisters facing trials, pray with confidence, pray boldly for their faith or your faith to be made stronger and stronger by the power of the Spirit knowing that as God's children, rooted and grounded in love, you won't be overcome. But that then leads to a third step. In verse 18, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with the fullness of God. Paul's prayer is like a cascading prayer. It keeps building. He's asking for over three steps, essentially. Firstly, he's asking that God would give us the power of his Spirit so that Christ would dwell in our hearts through faith so that we would comprehend the love of God so that we would be full with the fullness of him. The power of the Spirit is unto Christ and knowing Christ is coming to grips with the knowledge of God's love. And without God's help, you and I would never comprehend how wide, how high, how deep, how long is the love of God. We need God to open our eyes by His Spirit to Jesus and to grasp all that God has done in Christ, to grasp just how much God loves us. It's amazing how love will help you get through difficult times. Knowing someone loves you helps you not to give up. And when we know God, the greatest lover of all, that he loves you, he will sustain us. And this comprehending God's love is very important. Because comprehending God's love is different to knowing God is love. Comprehending God's love is different to knowing God is love. We all know God is love. If we've read the Bible, we all know through Sunday school that God is loving. But have you comprehended his love? That's what this prayer is for. So you're not standing firm because of stuff you've been told you should believe. You're standing firm because of stuff you know and experience and feel the love God has for you. God's love is the greatest love. Have you comprehended it? Pray to God for the Spirit to work powerfully in you. Pray that, that Spirit, the Spirit of God would help you know Christ more and more. And as you know Christ more and more, then you'll start to comprehend God's love and how much He loves us. Our Father hears the cry of all His children. And if you cry out to God, I want to know you more, He will answer that. I want to know just how much you love me. He'll answer that. And he will give us all that we need to enable us to grasp that. It's supernatural. You're not going to grasp the love of God just by reading more books from Courant. You're going to grasp the love of God by the spirit working powerfully within us to know Jesus. And for the love, as you comprehend it, to fill you, fill you more and more. Many years ago I did the Kokoda Trail, so that took me on on a long hike through Papua New Guinea. And you climb some big mountains over many days and you hike all day and you think you there's the top. But as you get toward the top, you suddenly see that is not the top. There's another peak. And you think, that's my next goal. I'm gonna climb. And then you get to that one, you think, No, that's not it. There's another peak. You just keep walking and hiking, and one peak becomes another peak that's not the top, becomes another peak that's not the top. That's like God's love. If you think you've comprehended God's love, you haven't. There is so much more as you meditate on God's word and for the Spirit to reveal that we might be all the more filled and all the more thrilled with God as we keep climbing in his strength to comprehend more and more of the divine bliss that we have. That is one of the ways, marvelous ways, that God actually matures us through testing. is coming to reach out and to grasp and to comprehend His love. Find ourselves dying more and more to the world because we want more and more of God. We love the world less. We love God more. The minister from many years ago, evangelist and pastor, Mr. Torrey, R.A. Torrey, said he sought God earnestly That he might see his face and one day while he was reading the scriptures and praying he was so overwhelmed with a profound consciousness of god's love for him that he began to weep and weep and weep and eventually he had to pray and ask god to show him no more i can't bear it when we comprehend god's love we'll have peace in the middle of the worst storm Considering the chapters that have gone before, how wide it is love. It includes Jews and Gentiles, people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. How long is his love? It reaches for you. God loves you from before the world began, and he will love you into the eternity. He has given you eternal life. He has given you an eternal inheritance, kept in heaven for you. How high? He seated you in Christ. He has seated you in the heavenly places an inheritance that's kept in heaven for you. How deep is his love in Christ, that Christ should leave heaven above, dying across, descend to the grave, that you might be redeemed and forgiven. And that God should love you so much that he should seal you with his spirit, that his son should die to save you, to adopt you as his own, have all his power for you, and to rescue you that you, you, would be to the praise of his glory. Knowing God's love, comprehending his love, will prepare you for the time of testing and lift you up in the time of testing. Knowing that his love for you is an eternity past, it's guaranteed an eternity future, means whatever's along the way does not win. God's love for you wins. He will watch over you. He has your hand to see you all the way home. So may we rest in His love, laugh in His love, rejoice in His love, because that's what Paul wants you to experience. And how the world knows that a child will thrive when it's a, when he or she's awash in the love of their dad. How much more we will thrive spiritually when we're awash in the love of our Father in heaven. And so Paul closes with verses 20 and 21. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus, throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. We rest knowing there's no limit to what God can do for us. Our dad is the greatest. He's able to do whatever we ask and all that we ask, even abundantly more than we ask. Have you ever limited God? Or thought, maybe God can't get me through this? Get rid of those thoughts. Rather, may we join Paul here in giving glory to God, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus. Yes, Paul wants us to be full of God, but, that, but he wants something more. He wants God to be glorified. He wants him to be worshipped, exalted, adored. He wants God to receive all the credit. For all families everywhere to think high thoughts of God. Others may not give God the glory, but the church, you, his bride, you, his child, are to give him glory. We are the company of people who approach God solely on what he has done for us through Jesus Christ. We come to him by the, the, in the Son by the spirit and we give him glory. That is the end. That's our highest purpose as a church is to give God glory. It's not about us. It's not about what we do. It's not about what God has in store for us into all eternity. Our highest calling as a church is to give God glory, to show He is magnificent, and not just for a time, forever and ever. Forever and ever. The praise which we begin on earth is to continue into all eternity, and the more we grasp and understand God, it won't be hard. We wrestle because we see things as a shadow, but when all things are put plain, you will have no trouble praising God. Infinite love deserves infinite praise. Eternal love deserves eternal praise. Times of testing are hard. But when you get to heaven, you'll realize that God has never failed you. He's always been faithful. In fact, he's sustained you all the way. And so let's never start thinking we'd do it in our strength, but to call out to our Father in heaven for his strength. And so we must pray, pray, pray. Yes, prayer can be difficult, but pray, as Spurgeon says. Sometimes we pray and it's like, is it not getting past the ceiling? So he says, pray until you pray. Wrestle in prayer. Prayer is often the last thing we do away way down the track. And for the devil, it's the last thing he wants you to do. He would much rather you pick up a few more books to read about suffering than to pray. You can get to those pray first and don't stop praying pray before you read we struggle to pray for 10 minutes but we have no worries to read a book for 10 hours we press on may we fall on our knees bow before him in our times of testing and cry out for strength that's what we need maybe one of the reasons we don't run to him is because really deep down we doubt his fatherly love stop look to the scriptures, see how much he loves us and run to him, run to your father. Don't try and fix yourself. Don't try and just have more conversations. Don't try and read more books. Run and pray. Let God do a supernatural work in your heart. And if you're not in times of trial or struggle, be praying for those who are and be getting into those disciplines now because it's not if you will be face testing, you will. And so be ready. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your love. Lord, we pray. It's our prayer, Lord, that this prayer of pause would be fulfilled in us. Lord, that you would pour out your spirit upon us to empower us. That Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith. That we would know Christ more. And Lord, that we would see just how much you love us. And understand that love through what you have done for us in Christ. Lord, may you just fill us and thrill us with love. And Lord, that we would never take our eyes off you. And so, Father, please answer this prayer for us, we ask. Amen.